John Asperian, technical copywriter and author of the soon-to-be-released book Content DNA, describes Content DNA as the shape of your brand, and then using the power of consistency and congruence to create content that gets remembered and acted on. As technical communicators, the Content DNA could take several forms. A freelance technical writer could use their Content DNA to own their niche. A content marketer could discover their employer's Content DNA to create compelling, sales-boosting content. In this episode, John shares how you can find your own content DNA, including how to find your niche as a writer, how to market that niche to prospective clients, and how to use your niche to win big clients. Big shout out to Knowledge Owl, a wonderful knowledge-based software product for sponsoring the Not Boring Tech Writer, and I hope you all enjoy this episode. John, what's going on, friend? How are you today? Hi there, Jacob. Great to speak to you again. All good in South Wales. I am happy to hear it. John, I got something rowdy to tell you. Believe it or not, it has been just about three years since you last joined me on the podcast. <laughs> wow, Can you has it been that? that long? Amazing. To be honest, I think you were one of the very, very first podcast interviews I I did. I think I've done about 20 since then, but I think you were one of the first. I didn't realize it was that long ago, though. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> Well, I was happy to play my part to somewhat launch your podcasting career. Oh, you definitely did. No, I was really honored to be asked and even more honored to be asked back. I couldn't have done anything too bad, I guess, the first time. Beautiful. <laughs> yeah, back. I was checking the archives this morning. It was back October 2nd, 2016. Wow. We were discussing creating a human connection mm. in your documentation. Yeah. And today we have another great skill to cover, and that is finding your content DNA. And John, I know you've been working on this for a while. You got a book coming out on it here in a little bit, spring 2020. Mm -hmm. Really excited to hear what insights you have to share with us today. To get us started, what the heck is a content DNA for <laughs> listeners who maybe are unfamiliar? Well, it's the. It, this stems from the question that I ask every new copywriting client I have which is, you know, what is the DNA of your business? What is it that we need to try and get across to your ideal audience? Mm. And most of the businesses are kind of, they're, they're kind of too close to their own operations to see what they really are. And they need to take a bit of a step back and sometimes ask that basic question of what is it that we do and what do we stand for? So content DNA is really my way of saying what are the four or five core values that you want to bring out that mm. identify your unique shape in the world um, and once you've got those core values it helps you create content that speaks to the ideal customer because you're always showing up with those values you're kind of more memorable more recognizable even if you kind of hid the logo at the top of the screen the writing style would be familiar because it always speaks to the same truth over and over again and what i'm the point i'm going to try to make in the book is that if you sh show up with that shame same shape and do it over a long enough period 
then you'll start to build real trust with people. And that's what leads people to open their wallets and so forth. So John, this language that you're using of the content DNI kind of, kind of conjures thoughts in my mind of audience analysis. But then as you describe it, it sounds like it's a much more deep, meaningful connection with what the audience actually does and understanding the message they want to portray as opposed to just, okay, figuring out a list of characteristics that may resemble their audience. In your experience, what is that contrast between maybe the traditional audience analysis that many of our listeners are familiar with whenever they create you know, copywriting material, technical documentation, and the content DNA approach that you're advocating for? Yeah, well, I think it's kind of a mixture of both doing the introspection needed to understand your place in the world and what values you want to show up with, and then doing an analysis of your ideal buyer, so a pe- what I call a pen portrait in the book, but is more commonly referred to as a buyer persona or a customer avatar, and, and mixing those two things so that you that you simply attract the right people, the people who want to turn into raving fans because they understand your place in the world and they see something of themselves in you. And the point I'm going to make in the book is that while we always focus on, you know, make everything in service of your customer, which I, I suppose is a true statement, um, if you can get really, really clear on what your purpose is, you will naturally start to attract the kind of customers who would want to work with you. And there are all sorts of benefits to that. You know, they, they will give you fewer headaches, they'll pay more money, they will... Um, They'll they'll speak about you to their colleagues. So there's all sorts of benefits in doing that. And it's a kind of a mixture of the two that I'm going to go into uh, in the book. And that content DNA starts from working out what those four or five uh, brand values are and then working out what uh, what the one anchor value is that kind of ties all those things Mm. in together. And, And the benefit of doing that is that it lets you come up with a very, very clear tagline Uh, for your business. Now, for my business in the last couple of years, so actually since we last spoke, I've finally developed my own brand headline. As Uh, you have. (laughs) And and it's been absolutely transformative for my business. So, So at the point where I spoke to you, I was kind of trundling along. I was doing okay. Um, I wasn't uh, what you'd call a star on social media. I'm not sure that I am now, but anyway, um, there came a moment where I was asked during an on-stage speech, you know, "How are you going to stay um, relevant in a in a market that uh, and superior in a market that's being flooded by lots of people doing the same kind of thing?" And at random, my mouth came out with, "I'm going to be relentlessly helpful." Mm. I thought about that more. People started echoing that back to me, and that, that was a very very clear sign that I was onto something. Interesting. Then I matched that up with finding one space where I could kind of illustrate my skills. And that space has become LinkedIn. And I did some personal branding work to work out what what am I really about in this world? What's my position here? What am I trying to say? How am I trying to help people? I came up with these values, made sure that I implemented them in all of the content that I created and for some time, not very much happened because I, I do believe it takes a while for this stuff to permeate into people's brains. Sure. But after about nine months, I started to see some kind of green shoots of, of, of you know, good, good signals of growth. We're now, I don't know, maybe two years on from that point. 
And since then, I've start, I've decided that I'm going to write a book about it because it's, it's <laughs> paid off for me spectacularly and I'm, yes. I'm fully booked for copywriting work at the highest rates I've ever had. Um, I'm known in my space. I'm known as being that, that relentlessly helpful guy on LinkedIn. And it's Love a very it. kind of simple thing you know that there's just a couple of words that people will associate with me so I'm, I'm known for that one thing and that's remarkably powerful and i don't think i would have got there without that clarity of understanding what my core value is and what the the, the kind of satellite values that go around that and you are an excellent success story and listeners as you have time and i'll make sure to include this in the show notes as well i encourage you to check out john's linkedin i mean he calls himself relentlessly helpful you know, if you're going to give yourself that moniker, you got to follow it up with the work. And John does. You go to his LinkedIn and is full of helpful resources, both regarding the content DNA and beyond. And John, I'm with you. I remember just thinking back to whenever we created the Not Boring Tech Writer. I mean, <laughs> you, you, you give yourself a, a cool title that relates to not only like who you are as a writer or content creator, but also just who you are as a person. And then you yeah. create content around that mission you have and people seem to dig it and seem to dig into yeah. it. Yeah, I mean, you're a case in point as well. I remember when I saw that orange cartoon, <laughs> the curly hair, the not boring tech writer, I knew, you know, I don't want to turn this into a loving, but I knew I need to know who this guy is because that that is such a strong, catchy yeah. brand. Um, and we... We need that, you know, without the kind of polish and the spin that the other point I'm going to make about this is in the book is that once when you come up with these values, you absolutely have to live those values. It's it's not enough to think of some funny phrases, write them down in a glossy PDF mm. and then forget about them. You actually have to live it. So when I say relentlessly helpful, that is a really big claim. And, you know, you know, the old saying, extraordinary uh, claims require extraordinary evidence. Yes. So I am trying to live that brand every day. And if I don't, then I, I'm welcoming people to call me out for not yeah, doing so. I love it, John. And listeners, if you want some good information to complement John's approach to content DNA, a few episodes back, um, we had an episode on branding your work, talking about, you know, kind of finding your content tilt. Um, another great episode that I for you to look back to. Um, which I'll include in the show notes as well. John, digging more into content DNA, I have a sense that this mm -hmm. is very, you know, multi-pronged approach. You know, you mentioned how the business owner can find his or her content DNA to help them decide which kind of content they should create and how to find their voice. You mentioned before, yeah. whenever you're working as a technical copywriter, kind of figuring out the type of content that you thrived at and helping that helped you find clients. I imagine, um, you know, maybe a copywriter working with a prospective client to help him or her find their content DNA. I want to focus on the latter. You know, I'm a technical copywriter. I have lots of different kinds of clients. They just come to me and say, hey, I want to start a blog. But that's really the only yeah. direction that they have. Mm -hmm. Keeping the content DNA approach in mind, what are some of the very first questions that a copywriter or technical writer should be asking the client to help nudge them to find that content DNA. So they're not only creating a blog, which is good for SEO and creating your brand, all these things that we know, but also truly represents the client that they're working for. 
Yeah. Well, I, I start with asking people lots of questions that try to get to the heart of what their purpose is. And that, that can start in a quite non-threatening way with, you know, you can ask people uh, what things you believe in. You can ask people what kind of music, TV you like, all sorts of questions to try and get in their head and see what really matters to them. You can get them to take personality tests to see what kind of person, you know, standardized psychological scoring uh, ranks them as. You can try and find out what their friends, family and customers say about them. Um, in the latter, there's a massive missed opportunity with people who are not inspecting their inbox and sent items folders because the language that your customers use to you tells you a lot about them, but it also tells you a lot about you. Uh, you know, the, the way that they address you, the, 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 the good and bad points they pick up about you. Um, sometimes you have to read between the lines of it, but all of that kind of analysis can can help you work out what your purpose is, what you stand for, and what things you want to represent about yourself when you put any piece of content out in the world. I don't recommend trying to make this too complex. You know, if you if you pick if you were to pick twenty things that you wanted to try and get across in every piece of content, all you will do is confuse people. Mm. So the simpler you can make it. Not, so not just simple language, but a simple underlying message. You know, this is me. Yes. Just, a, just a few things will be enough. Uh, and that hammered uh, enough over time will, will make an impression on people. Another way of doing this is to give people a long list. So you could give people a list of 50 descriptors uh, and say, you know, pick your favorite 25 out of these and then sleep on it tonight mm -hmm. and then tomorrow pick your favorite 10 out of those and then sleep on it. And then the day after, pick your favorite five. You know, let, let's keep whittling it down until we get to what is the truth about what you want to say. Um, and then that's, you know, that's where we start doing customer analysis to, to work out who it is that we're saying those things to, uh, try to match them up. Uh, and then we're good to go. But uh, that, that, that bit I mentioned about the email inbox, I think that's, um, it's just so often overlooked. Yes. And when we start digging into that with clients, so we often find snippets of language that we can reuse in the copy that, that we put out for them. Uh, and also just, just realizations. Oh, look, you know, 10 out of our last 30 customers have, have said, you know, I was surprised at the price or something like that. Maybe we should be charging more. Maybe, maybe we need to be aiming at more luxury clients because mm. um, we're getting clues from what people are saying that, that, that we need to go in a different direction. It, I'm yeah. sensing that, you know, that feedback loop, that sounding board, you know, I'm working with the client to help him or her find their content DNA. They feel like they have a good idea of who they are. They're creating content around the idea. But as we all know, maybe the content has the audience has a different perception of the work we do, and then being able to you know have that feedback loop to maybe tweak your message as needed. I imagine that's really valuable for clients. Yeah, that's true. I mean, um, just just to give you a, a quick aside here, I've noticed that since more of my clients now come from LinkedIn, uh, it, it used to be that everyone used to find me through my website. Mm. Now. Um, about 60% of my new clients come through LinkedIn directly or through referrals as a result of my LinkedIn content. That's awesome. um, and of those clients that are sourced from LinkedIn, I've, my, my stats suggest that they're willing to pay 30% more than what clients who find me through Google wow. are willing to pay. And therefore, 
I can pitch myself as a higher-end copywriter, yeah. and I have because I'm a significantly higher than the average day rate in the UK. Yes. But because I've done that research through the things that people say to me, that they're less price resistant when they come from LinkedIn. And so the, the natural feedback loop is do more work on LinkedIn and you'll earn more money. Interesting. And the descriptors that you were describing before, is that alluding back to pen portraits, which you discussed earlier in the, uh, the podcast? I want to well, well you, you can, you can, so. Yeah, yeah, sure. I mean, I can give you I can give you that list of words if you want to share them. Uh, it's it, it can be used for both. In the first instance, it's very much used to uh, describe yourself. For for pen portraits, you, what I've done with my own uh, business is I've created this this fictional character I call Tony, and I've written a backstory for him. Um, and for a lot of people, that would seem like it's too much, but for me. I can now picture exactly what he looks like, what his family's like, which football team he supports and everything. And what it means is that whenever I make a decision about my business, I can imagine that Tony's next to me and I can know with pretty good certainty what he would think about me doing that thing. Um, so, so making the pen portrait really is about, um, you know, defining the, the, the character is so it's not just one word descriptors but it's it's just really the way they think about things um what position they what, what what mental position they're going to be in what their beliefs are um and if you can get those things straight then it's much easier for you to create the content that is going to uh to influence them to to you know uh do what you want perfect and listeners if you're interested in learning more about john's pen portraits philosophy i'll make sure to include that in the show notes as well John, I know you've been working as a technical copywriter for a bit now, practicing this content DNA approach when you're working with clients. How, thinking back on your experience, how have clients responded to this approach? Is this a new approach for them? Are they maybe hesitant to do this much digging in? Is it something that they're excited about, and willing to embrace and try out? What have clients' yeah, reactions well, been like? It, it, it's definitely a new process for them. A lot of them have not thought about their content yeah. to this level. I mean, when they come to me, it's usually a, it's usually a case of we need some words for our website. How much does that gotcha. cost? Do you know what yeah, I mean? So it's kind of a very service level thing, uh -huh. a level a surface level thing, which um, which there's no good answer to because you could you could get a content writing service for for, for pennies, I suppose, but it wouldn't actually return any results. Mm -hmm. So. Sometimes there's a bit of surprise when I say, well, okay, before I write anything, I need to know who you are and what you think about the world and, and who your customers are and let's let's dig in and, and develop these things. Uh, now, some of the customers have already done a little bit of buyer persona stuff, although personally, I, I really find it quite detailed enough and often we need to um, embellish it a little bit to, to get it to the point where it's actually meaningful. So there is some prep work, but what I've always said about technical writing although I've never quite said it in the content DNA way, is most of technical writing isn't writing. It's research. Yeah. Um, the writing might be really quick. It's the, it's the bit that, that, that comes towards the end once you've got the understanding, the ideas ready, the structure, um, you know, the, the audience understanding. Once you've got clarity on all of those, so in other words, a really, really good brief, um, that the actual consonants and vowels that you type into the keyboard can be often be done relatively quickly so it's it's that first bit that um that people 
sometimes takes people uh, a bit by surprise, but the results are great. You know, I've done some brand consultations for people where they've you know, they've developed their content DNA blocks, uh, they've developed their anchor value, they've come up with a tagline as a result of having those things cool. in place, and they know what kind of content they need to create that will speak truth to those things. Um, and we've talked about inspecting inboxes and, and coming up with a kind of customer questions that will uh, move the needle. And, and all of that then, you know, translates into content that actually does something. It's not just words on a page. It's, it's always there uh, with a purpose and is is recognizably someone's voice. You know, it's not just a corporation putting words on a page. It's actually something that has its own uh, recognizable shape. And as I say, over time, uh, that, 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 you know, that occupies a small memory slot uh, in the brain of the people that you're trying to influence. And that, that long-term means you earn more money, more loyalty, yeah. and all those good things. And listeners, if you're interested in becoming a freelance technical copywriter, or maybe if you already are, this is an important message to grasp. The reason that John can you know, charge the rates that he do does is because of that attention to detail and the extra effort that he puts into this process with the client. You know, John may not be, I mean, grammatically, any better writer than the next copywriter or the next one that appears on Google search, but John can charge these prices because, you know, of all the additional value that he brings to the clients. You mentioned before, you know, writing isn't necessarily the hard part it's the research yeah i'm gonna i'm going to give you if, if i may i'm going to give you a few extra ideas i mean just a few of the highlights that are going into the book to get you thinking about some other things you need to be aware Please. of as well as defining your um your pen portrait or your bio persona you also need to define a negative version of that so in my book, I'm going to be calling that person the salesy douche canoe. It's the, <laughs> it's the suit-wearing, slimy salesperson that I would never, ever want to work with, no matter how much money they had in the world. And um, one of my favorite marketers, Doug Kessler, once said that, uh, you know, that marketing should um, attract, but it should also repel. It's like a magnet, you know. So I totally believe that. It, it, sometimes it's even easier to start with who do we not want to speak to? Who do we not yes. want to be like? And and if you do that, then then you know if you, if you did it in real detail, then perhaps whatever's left is is actually what the space that you want to occupy. So that's a potential different starting point. Um, another thing is to is to as much as possible. Although you're trying to be consistent and congruent, that's the, the main point of the book, there should also be, along with all of that white paint, if you like, there should be the splashes of pink, what I call peak moments. Mm. There should be some moments in your process with your customers where you go out of the way, go out of your way for people to the point where you will have a memorable moment with that person. Now, you can't do that with every customer, but ideally you would. Uh, yeah. But if you can get people to have those peak moments with you, that that is the, the lifetime value of those moments can be colossal, and they will uh, the right people will then spread your message. And if you've got, uh, you know, maybe even a hundred core fans, that might be a lot for a new writer, but let's say it's a hundred. Um, you will have a sustainable business for the for the long term that is bulletproof from AI and you know all these other things that are coming down the stream yeah. because 
the people will make that kind of an emotional connection with you. That person went out of their way for me. Um, I'm going to stick with them. John, give me an example of a peak moment. This concept intrigues me because, of course, we all want to be, you know, great writers for our clients and, you know, follow up on emails and turn things in by the deadline. But what's an example of a peak moment, that extra well, step that a writer can take to retain this business and yeah. probably get clients later on? Well, I'll tell you what, I mean, I'll give you an example of a peak moment that happened to me from someone else, another podcaster, actually. So um, we're both big sports fans. Um, and he had he was lucky enough to be able to go to the the Champions League final in in Madrid this year, wow. and he brought back for me a you know a, a, a proper glossy match program from the final where, where our team played and won. Cool. I did not have a chance cool. to travel, but he bought that for me from Spain, brought it, delivered it. I didn't know it was going to happen. It just landed on my doorstep at, with his name on, and like I. I am now going to promote his podcast. It's called the Marketing Study Lab um, all the time because that for me was someone going out of their way to do something they didn't have to do. We had a kind of good relationship before, but that, which would be a small thing to someone else, is massive to me. And that that makes me a lifetime fan. Uh, and okay, it might have cost him I don't know twenty pounds or something, but yeah. the, the 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 value of that to me is is uh, is much much higher. So it's that kind of thing. Sometimes it doesn't have to be a huge gesture; but yes. it has to be a relevant gesture. And if you do that, you you will earn yourself fans. John, I love that story, and it reminds me why I love just all of the guests that we have on this podcast. Mm-hmm. You know, we call it the not boring tech writer. You know, we want to inspire people to break the stereotype that tech writing is a boring career. And a big part of that is looking at yourself as a whole person. Yes, you're a tech writer, maybe create a brand around a particular tech writing skill or interest that you have, but this really shines the most whenever you create a brand around who you are as an entire person. So I imagine this example of Mark, you know, excellent marketer. I'm sure he has a fantastic podcast, but part of what makes him an excellent employee, an excellent podcaster is who he is as a person and this kind gesture is an excellent example and i hope listeners are inspired as well to look for those little peak moments in their own professional yeah. interactions yeah that's a great story john the, the, the other thing i want to say was another one of the important bits in the book really which is uh, it's a this is a rallying call to newer people which is that the the real money is in the silent watchers what i call lurkers um so a couple of different research sources suggest that between 70 and 90% of your content consumers are lurkers. They're the people who stand behind the, the velvet rope, who mm-hmm. you never see, you never hear from, and then one day they, they walk the other side of that velvet rope and say, right, I've been watching you for 18 months, I'm going to buy from you now. Wow. And in the first, let's say, 9 to 12 months of your business, almost everyone is going to be a lurker. No, few people will notice you uh, publicly, but most people won't. And the biggest problem that people have is that they give up too soon. And they give up too soon because they can't see those lurkers. But those lurkers are there. Um, and I, every, almost every day now, I connect with people who said, I've been following you for months or even years, and now cool. it's about time that we, we get in touch with people. So my the thing I want to say about that is that all of this stuff takes time to work. There's no... There's no easy button. You know, you, you might need to take a year, two years, possibly even three years to really establish yourself as being known in your space. And if you're a new writer listen to, listening to this, 
that's you know that that can sound scary but i can tell you that there are countless cases where it, it has worked it certainly worked for me so once you've discovered your content dna discovered what kind of content you want to create discovered who you want to create it for um, start doing it, but don't expect yeah. anything to happen straight away. Those lurkers will come out of the shadows eventually, and and once they do, you'll be flying. Well, John, this has been an absolute joy. You've shared a great message with us. I know I'm really excited to pick up the Content DNA book come spring 2020. You give us some nice little insights, and I imagine the listeners have appreciated it as well. If anyone wants to connect with you online, check out all this dope work you're doing on LinkedIn. <laughs> And learn more about your book. Make sure that they're keeping up to date on what's going down with it. Maybe pre-order a copy if possible. Pick up a mm-hmm. copy in the spring. Where can people do all this online? Well, my surname is quite unique. So uh, if you search for Esperian, you'll find my website and you'll find my LinkedIn profile. And I'll be more than happy to connect and chat with you on LinkedIn. Beautiful. And we can learn more about the Content DNA book there as well. Yeah, absolutely. I post about it regularly there. If you go to my website, uh, there's a link to the book and you can pre-order now if you want to have a signed copy or you can wait till April if you want to buy on Amazon or as an ebook. You know I'm trying to pick up a signed copy. (laughs) (laughs) I think we can can sort that out, Jacob. (laughs) Well, John, thank you. This has been a joy. We'll chat very soon. Speak to you soon. Cheers, Jacob. Thanks again to Knowledge Owl, creators of the wonderful knowledge-based software for sponsoring the Not Boring Tech Writer podcast. And thanks so much to each of you for listening to this episode. Talk soon.